Hey team, welcome back to the show. Today, I'm joined once again by my man Brandon DeCruz for another part of the Female Fat Loss Series. We are on part seven now, <laughs> and we are going to be digging into uh, using exercise to supplement the deficit and maximize fat loss for women. So Brandon, as always, man, first of all, thank you for being here. Before we really get into the topic, anything you want to intro us with? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, this is going to most likely be our last uh, part of the series because we've literally went through everything. So throughout the, you know, if we really go back throughout the last few months, we've done a ton of, you know, um, female specific, you know, focused fat loss series where we've covered a ton of topics within that time related to how women can go about maximizing fat loss and muscle retention during a deficit. And if you really think about it, like for those that are just getting onto this episode, I really implore you to go back to the other six because we've covered many nutrition, metabolism, hormone, and lifestyle specific topics related to fat loss. So on today's show, we're going to wrap up the series essentially with an episode about how or essentially about the role that exercise plays in the fat loss process and the benefits that women can get from focusing on multiple forms of exercise, including both resistance and aerobic training and modes of physical activity. So, you know, we can encompass that with steps um, in addition to their nutrition as although, you know, really when we look at it, diet is the primary area of programming we need to focus on to lose weight. My goal is never just to have a client simply lose weight. It's to help them improve their body composition by losing fat, gaining or maintaining muscle, and to help them look better, feel better, perform better, and feel stronger and especially more confident in their own skin. And a major strategy that I use within my programming to elicit those type of changes because they're multifactorial, due to the fact that we have multiple goals, we have to take multiple methods and strategies. So one of the ways that I do that, especially with my female clients, is to use different forms of exercise throughout the process. So on today's show, I want to go over a lot of the benefits of taking a multifaceted approach to fat loss rather than the singular model where a lot of people either look at just exercise or they look at just diet or just one form of exercise, such as just doing cardio to elicit fat loss. And every we have to realize that as with every you know, topic within nutrition, within training, within even just health-related topics, everything has its role. So every tool plays plays its own role. However, a lot of times we get synergistic or additive benefits from combining multiple. And that's where taking a multifaceted and a fully integrated approach to goals like fat loss, improving body composition, and muscle retention are really advantageous. And it's something that I've seen work in practice. And we're going to go over some of the research today on the multifaceted benefits of taking an approach that includes, it's essentially all encompassing. Absolutely, man. And yeah, we haven't really, it's been very centered around nutrition. We talked about it. Fuel yourself well when we touched on the training side of things, but we haven't really dug into exercise as a whole too much. So I'm excited to get into this. So first, kind of give us a high level overview. Why should we use exercise to supplement the deficit? Um, kind of dig into that for us. Absolutely. So I often look at exercise as a supplemental intervention in a fat loss phase. As although diet is the foundation, we all need to dial in to effectively lose body fat. Exercise is another tool that we can utilize and we can leverage to our advantage to maximize our body composition outcomes in terms of the amount of lean mass we build or maintain and thus the total amount of fat mass that we lose. But exercise also increases, you know, energy expenditure, which allows us to diet on a higher amount of calories, which is especially important for females because often they're going to have a lower total daily energy expenditure, lower uh, body mass, lower lean body mass. So really, this is something I'm particularly interested in and I really like to leverage with my female clients. And the reason that, you know, I want to make this uh, very clear, the reason we titled this as, you know, this, you know, exercise as a supplemental intervention is because, you know, I kind of like looking at exercise as a supplement to a fat loss phase because 
Although I consider it to be an extremely beneficial component of the fat loss process, it's important to realize that for 99.9% of us who have careers, we have families, and we have outside responsibilities, you know, outside of our training, it's almost impossible to out-exercise a poor diet and to out-expend eating in excess. So we have to realize that this is supplemental, meaning it's additive. It isn't just the end-all be-all. It isn't the only intervention that we can utilize or should utilize to elicit uh, changes in body composition as well as to induce fat loss. And this is because it's extremely challenging and exhausting to create a calorie deficit large enough to induce a significant degree of fat loss through exercise alone. As that, honestly, if you think about it, that would require you to engage in like hours upon hours of intentional exercise per day, which many of us just don't have the time for, nor the recovery capacity to do on a daily basis. Plus, a lot of the women that I work with, and I know the same is, can be said about you and your, your company, is we're working with people that aren't just fitness enthusiasts. They're also business professionals, their wives or girlfriends, and they, and a lot of them are mothers, and they have a ton going on in their personal and professional lives. So whenever I'm creating a program for the goal of maximizing fat loss and body composition, I start with constructing the diet and then using that as the foundation to create a deficit. And then I pair different exercise modalities to their nutrition. So there's this big interaction between nutrition and training, and both are periodized in a manner that complement one another. But I'm doing so with the exercise as a supplement to the diet and in order to induce a more effective deficit. And the reason that I always start with a food-first approach to fat loss is because it's much easier to help a client create a calorie deficit by making dietary adjustments first than it is by solely creating deficit through exercise alone. However, you know, when I really like speak about this or when I look at it, my preferred method is never just to use just diet alone or exercise alone to create a deficit during a fat loss phase, especially when I'm working with a female client. And instead, I like to take a multifaceted approach to creating a deficit, which allows me to help maximize you know, their fat loss outcomes while preserving their lean mass. So when we finish the fat loss phase, we've achieved a leaner, fitter, tighter, and more toned physique rather than what they've gotten in the past, which is generally just a skinnier and smaller version of themselves. So I find using an approach that, you know, where I combine dietary adjustments with different exercise interventions to be a much more effective approach to, to achieving fat loss with women due to the inherent differences we have to consider as a coach when we're working with female clients as compared to when we're working with male clients. So first and foremost, you know, my female clients on average weigh significantly less than my male clients do. And women on average, if we just look statistically and into the research, we see that they generally have about 10% less lean mass and 10% more fat mass than males do. So they usually have a lower absolute total daily energy expenditure and resting metabolic rate than males do. Meaning if we were to create a deficit through diet alone, the degree of a deficit we'd be using with a female would be, would essentially take up a much larger percentage of their total calorie intake due to the fact that most women have a far lower maintenance calorie intake when we start a diet than men do. So if I'm working with a woman who has a maintenance calorie intake of say 2000 calories per day, and I reduce her intake by 500 calories per day. So that's standard 500 calorie deficit. And I do so just purely through diet alone. That's a 25% reduction in her total daily uh, calorie intake right off the bat. Whereas if I was to create that exact same 500 calorie deficit with a male client who has a maintenance calorie intake of say 3,500 calories per day, that would be approximately a 14% deficit. So despite decreasing calories by the exact same amount between these two clients, there's a significant difference in how much food each client is going to have to reduce their total daily you know, food intake by. And so we have to consider like the adherence perspective. We have to consider their hunger, appetite, all these different uh interacting variables, essentially. So women are also more susceptible. And this is something that we've recovered uh, in the, I believe the first and second podcast that we did within this series is that they're more susceptible to the negative effects of being in a state of low energy availability and are also 
much more likely to experience energy deficiency uh, syndrome than men are, which can lead to negative effects like decreases in thyroid production, decreases in sex hormone production. We see a disruption of their menstrual cycle or hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, We also see that it impacts many aspects of their biofeedback, such as their recovery capacity, their training performance, their sleep, their mood, their hunger, their libido. So I found that one way to mitigate this is to create a deficit through both diet and exercise so that the women I work with are able to eat more during a fat loss phase in comparison to the diets that they've done in the past where they've really just taken a very diet-focused model or exercise-focused model. And, and more times than not, I'm really getting individuals that have kind of crash dieted or they had a history of yo-yo dieting. So usually what it, what it has been is that they've dieted in the past on very low calories for the entire duration of the diet and have suffered as a result. And, and generally, they've experienced a higher propensity or likely to rebound as a result of how chronically and how excessively and severely they restricted their calories. And then another aspect about female physiology, which ties into a woman's sensitivity to perturbations or like large scale changes in energy availability, is they're more likely to see down regulations in energy expenditure from low calorie diets as a threshold for low energy availability in males is far lower than it is for females, meaning females will experience symptoms of REDS or relative energy deficiency syndrome at higher relative calorie intakes than males. And what's interesting is that much of the research that we have on what is the key determinant of our resting metabolic rate finds that our level of fat-free mass, also referred to as lean mass in some studies, is the best predictor of our resting metabolic rate. And this is what research finds on a group average. So keep in mind, like this is what we see on average. That doesn't mean that it applies to every data point. But this is the interesting thing. A lot of times when we look at these meta-analysis on metabolic rate, they're done by taking a group of both males and females and putting them together. So we're looking at at, at all these uh, interacting variables, but they're kind of like um, overlooked sometimes. And so if we look at other more particular research that separates males and females out, we see a little bit different of a finding. So what's really interesting is that some research finds that there may be some sex-specific differences in the best predictors of metabolic rate. So for example, in a study by Thompson et al., they measured the resting metabolic rate in a group of both male and female athletes and then separated them out. And they compared them to the predicted values from a RMR uh, prediction equation. So essentially, that would be the same type of thing that if you went on a calorie calculator website, they're using a prediction equation. But in this study, they actually used indirect calorimetry to get an accurate estimate. And then they just compared it to see the discrepancy between what was their actual resting metabolic rate and what was their predicted resting metabolic rate. And when accurately measuring these individuals' resting metabolic rate in the lab and then comparing them to the prediction equations, they found that fat-free mass was, the, in fact, the best predictor of resting metabolic rate for men in the study, whereas actual calorie intake was the best predictor of resting metabolic rate for women in this study. And now this isn't to say that a woman's level of muscle mass isn't an important component that contributes to the resting metabolic rate as muscle. Uh, not only increases our resting metabolic rate, but also significantly increases our total daily energy expenditure, of which, you know, resting metabolic rate is a component of, but it does suggest that for women to maintain a high resting metabolic rate, they need to eat more. Or essentially, in the case of fat loss, they need to restrict themselves less in terms of the actual intake that they're taking in. And this is where exercise can be a beneficial tool in our toolbox to help our female clients create a portion of their deficit from you know, exercise rather than just solely from diet and really significantly lowering their calorie intake so that they can diet on higher calories than they have in the past. And especially in the the diets they've done previous to us and really be able to get them to their goal of losing weight and still effectively losing body fat, but also 
being able to retain muscle mass and have a better retention of metabolic rate and their ability to expend calories on a daily basis so that the process is easier than it would be if they just chronically restricted themselves, went into a severe deficit and just tried to do it all through diet alone. Like so many women that, you know, both of us have encountered have done yet haven't succeeded in doing so. Absolutely. And definitely such a compelling argument for dieting on more calories, right? The body composition, metabolic rate, all these things stay in a much better place. So talk us through a little bit more kind of the benefits behind combining diet and exercise during a fat loss phase, because I think this is something that's often misunderstood. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I look at it, like many of the women I work with, they don't just want to lose weight during a fat loss phase. And I know that many times we've had this conversation, we want to focus. And even those that are very like weight or skill focused, we always want to shift them from that mindset. And really when it comes down to it, I encounter a lot of intermediate and advanced individuals and they specifically come to me to lose body fat and build or maintain muscle because their intention is to improve their body composition. They want to have a leaner, tighter toner look. And this is something that they've generally struggled to achieve in the past, you know, especially with their past diets that they've done where they've lost a significant amount of body weight, but they've also lost a ton of muscle in the process. So by the end of that dieting phase, they're disappointed with the results and wonder why they don't have the tone type physique that they were aiming to achieve. And the reason why many women have experienced this during a previous fat loss phase is because the approach they've taken is very weight loss focused rather than body composition focused. And they've used methods like aggressive calorie restriction to create a massive deficit, but haven't optimized their macronutrient intakes. They haven't looked at pre-workout fueling and post-workout replenishment, or even a little bit more nuanced topics like nutrient timing that we've covered in earlier episodes of this episode or early episodes of the series. So that's on the nutrition side, but also, you know, we, we see that they've taken a suboptimal approach to nutrition. However, most of them also haven't followed a well-programmed and periodized progressive resistance training program designed to maximize muscle hypertrophy. So they also haven't sent their body the signal during a fat loss phase to retain their lean mass. So their approaches to both diet and training are the bottlenecks that have been holding them back from achieving their body composition goals and why they have yet to be able to yield the body composition outcomes and the physique that they've always wanted, despite having gone through many dieting cycles in the past. And if you really want to achieve the goal of improving your body composition by losing body fat and gaining or maintaining lean mass, it's best to realize that there is no singular or one approach that will help you achieve this. So it's not as simple as focusing on just diet alone or just exercise alone to achieve this goal. And the reason that I say that is because often I'll have you know new clients come to me or I'll get messages and, and people often, and it's not that, you know, you only know what you know. So a lot of times these questions will surround the fact that is diet more important for for body composition or is, is training more important? And it's always like this dichotomous thing going back and forth. And it's like, you know, I can't give you a straight answer because you want one or the other. And it, it isn't, it's, it's a mix of the both. And a lot of times I'll have women come to me who want to look like their favorite like competitor or a lot of times, and I don't encourage this whatsoever, but they'll send me their favorite influencer or their athlete or an athlete that they look up to or someone on social media that they see and they really aspire to look like them. And all, you know, although, you know, I'll discuss with them that they need to focus on their own journey, their own abilities and capabilities and focus on their own physique progress rather than the progress of a fitness professional is making. I do think it's important to look at those. So I, sometimes I'll tell them, listen, I don't want you hyper-focusing 
are hyper fixating on what that person looks like. But I do want you to pay attention to some of those successful key habits that you continually see them doing over and over again. Because a lot of times we're looking at people that have been successful in losing body fat and maintaining muscle during a thallus phase. And those are things, those are components and those are habits and uh, practices that we can look at because success leaves clues. So I'll tell you personally, like I've competed in 15, you know, 15 times in bodybuilding competitions and I've worked with countless uh, physique competitors, uh, physique athletes and fitness models, both of male and female uh, sex. And the approach I've used with all of them to lose body fat and maintain muscle is not just to focus on diet or training alone. It's to take a fully integrated approach where we combine a nutrient-dense, calorie-controlled diet with properly programmed resistance training and aerobic training, and, and also you know physical activity via steps to maximize our body composition outcomes. And this is not something, you know, I've not only something that I've seen work in practice, but it's also something that's shown repeatedly in the research. So when we actually look at research that compares the effectiveness of diet alone, exercise alone, and or diet plus exercise, we see that each approach approach yields a different outcome. So it's really important to look at each and see what are the potential uh, benefits as well as the potential drawbacks of each approach. So when we look at diet alone, most of the research is going to show that it helps to achieve a larger degree of weight loss than exercise alone, but it also leads to greater losses in muscle mass. So diet alone is great for weight loss. If we're just talking about the scale reductions and, and looking to create a deficit, diet is going to be your number one uh, you know, tool to lever. However, it isn't great for overall body composition. Now, exercise alone, on the other hand, achieves a much smaller degree of total weight loss, but it's much more effective at maintaining muscle mass. But when researchers use a combined approach of using both diet plus exercise, they see that it yields the greatest amount of body fat loss and muscle retention, which is why using both you know, using both during a fat loss phase is the best way to recomp our physiques. So one of the best examples of the different body composition outcomes that we can achieve by using different dietary and training approaches during a fat loss phase is research that's been done by Don Lehman's lab. So anyone that doesn't know Don Lehman, he was uh, Lane Orton's uh, PhD um, advisor. He's also one of the like godfathers or the foremost experts in uh, both protein metabolism and weight loss studies. So he has an immense, like, like his catalog of studies is immense to say the least. But in one of his studies, and this is something that he repeatedly tested time and time over again, but I believe it's a 2005 study. What he did was they tested the effects of standard diet alone, a high protein diet and a high protein diet plus exercise on both fat loss and lean mass loss outcomes. And in the standard diet condition, they had participants follow the, uh, I believe it was like the food guide pyramids at the time. So this is 2005. So this would be before my plate, but essentially it was um, just a standard diet. And they found that the weight of the weight, the individuals lost 35 to 40% of that weight came from the loss of lean mass. So more than a third of every single pound that they lost was from metabolically active muscle tissue. Then when they had uh, another group do a high protein diet, so all these diets were calorie equated, but in this specific intervention, they had them utilize a high protein diet. And within this one, they increased their protein intake to 1.6 grams per kilogram per day. So right in that, that same range that we see, you know, evidence, you know, everyone in the evidence-based uh, scene really uh, points to 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilogram per day. That's based on a meta-analysis by Morton et al. Um, and so it was right in that range of optimizing protein intake for lean mass preservation. And they found that of the weight loss, these individuals lost 25% of that weight came from losses in lean mass and 75% came from losses in fat mass. So just by increasing their protein intake to a sufficient level, it helped them maintain about 10 to 15% more lean mass than the standard diet did within the same deficit. However, when they had participants combine a high protein diet plus resistance training, they found that this group had the best outcomes in overall body composition. So in this group that did both a high protein diet plus resistance training, they only lost 5% of their weight from lean mass and 95% came purely from the loss of fat mass. 
which shows the benefit of combining both a high-protein diet with resistance training for the goal of maintaining muscle and losing body fat. And in the high-protein diet plus um, resistance training group, they found that you know, when they were able to reduce this level of lean mass loss from what was initially 35 to 40% to just 5%. So 95% of that weight came from the loss of, you know, came exclusively from a reduction in fat mass, which demonstrates the additive effects of increasing protein intake and adding resistant training exercise to a diet. So in order to maximize our results in a fat loss phase and to be able to achieve our goal of both losing fat and building and or maintaining muscle, the most effective approach is to modify your diet and pair it with exercise as both approaches provide a ton of independent benefits by themselves. But by combining the two, it leads to additive and synergistic benefits that will help you achieve your goal of improving your body composition by losing fat and maintaining muscle rather than taking an approach where you either just focus on restricting your food intake as much as possible to lose weight, or you try to purely create a deficit by exercising as much as possible, both of which are going to lead to worse body composition outcomes and negative biofeedback as compared to taking a multimodal approach where we combine both training with diet to elicit the greatest improvements in your body composition. Absolutely. Okay. So, and when we're talking about exercise, it sounds like very much it's, and of course, like this is similar to what we approach, how we approach our clients. A lot of people are very much just going from the like exercise, I think cardio, but it sounds like very much we're prioritizing resistance training here, even though probably does burn less calories. So why is it that you would recommend prioritizing resistance training in a fat loss phase? Yeah. So it's interesting that you, you, um, kind of worded it that way, because I do find that a lot of people, they're only looking at the calorie burn aspect mm-hmm. in the session themselves for resistance training. And that's something we've covered many times in the past. Realistically speaking, we look into all the research on this. Resistance training head-to-head compared to cardiovascular training, it's it's not even a contest. Cardiovascular training, cardio or, or aerobic training is much more effective at burning calories. However, there are so many other benefits that we get from resistance training. So really when it comes down to it, the reason why I think it's so important for women to prioritize resistance training during a fat loss phase is due to the uh, habits that they normally have when they come to us. So you know, just in my own experience, nine out of 10 times when I have a new client come to me for coaching, who's female, it's evident that they're making one of two common mistakes within their approach to training. So we have to, you know, although we're categorizing this as exercise, there's a difference between training and a difference between working out. And we'll go through that. But, you know, one of the mistakes that they usually make is they're either not following a properly, uh, properly periodized resistance training program that has a progression model in place to ensure they achieve progressive overload over time. So they haven't maxed out their muscle building potential by any means. And the second mistake that most of them are making is they may not realize it, but the excessive amount of cardio they're doing, whether that be doing a ton of high intensity intervals or boot camp classes or doing a ton of endurance training is limiting their ability to improve their body composition and maximize their training performance due to the sheer amount of stress it's putting on their bodies and the amount of central fatigue they're accumulating through doing such high amounts of aerobic training. Then combine that with the fact that they're usually not consuming enough protein and often have went through multiple cycles of dieting. And we have a situation where many of these women have yet to even scratch the surface of the type of physique they could have if they took a more strategic approach to body recomposition and to fat loss phases in and of themselves. So the first thing I do with many of the women that I, who come to me is to prioritize resistance training as their primary 
form of exercise during a fat loss phase rather than making cardio the primary focus as they've done so many times in the past. And I do this because resistance training is by far the most potent and effective type of training we can do to provide our bodies with the necessary stimulus to gain and maintain lean uh, muscle mass. And so resistance training also has the advantage of increasing your metabolic rate and total daily energy expenditure so that you not only burn more calories at rest, but also throughout the entirety of your day. So throughout the entire course of your day, you're going to be able to burn more calories because you've essentially made a long-term investment. So really with cardio, if we, we were to compare and contrast the benefits that we get from resistance training and cardio from an energy expenditure perspective, yes, cardio within a session itself gives us a much higher calorie burn because it's a continuous form of exercise. However, it's not, you know, the adaptations we get from cardio and even the post-exercise ex- energy expenditure, the epoch effect we get from cardio is generally much lower than it, than resistance training is. So yes, in the session itself, resistance training doesn't burn as many calories. However, in the aftermath, meaning when we build muscle or the investment or even the muscle protein synthetic effect that we get from resistance training increases energy expenditure quite substantially. And so this is going to allow you to eat more during a diet. So when we look at resistance training, it has, you know, even in comparison to cardio, and it's not to compare and contrast these in the fact that you shouldn't use both or that one, you know, you know, it's just resistance training or it's just cardio. I believe in using both. But when we look specifically at resistance training, it has, you know, a potent effect on your P ratio and on muscle hypertrophy outcomes. So it creates a situation where when you resist and train in a progressive manner, so you're pushing yourself while you're in a calorie deficit, you lose more total fat mass because for every pound that you lose, you're less likely to lose lean mass. So by proxy, you're losing more body fat with every single pound that you lose than if you were to take an approach like you have in the past and you don't prioritize resistance training. So you are losing weight quick, but you're also losing a, a large percentage of lean body mass. So say that we go back to the layman study and we optimize everything within a, a a trainee's program or a client's program. And now they're only losing between zero to 5% of lean mass per pound loss. For every pound that they lose, they are losing 0.95 pounds of fat. That's a high, high percentage. That's a high P ratio. Whereas if we were to say, and we go into the opposite direction, we only use diet alone and we don't, you know, we don't uh, focus on progressive resistance training. We can lose 35 to 40% of each pound that we lose from muscle tissue. So now the amount of fat that you're losing per pound that you lose is 0.6 pounds. So now you've just lost 0.3 pounds off the bat. And so we really have to look at it from a comparative analysis perspective and see the benefits that having a multimodal approach can give us. And then also from an energy expenditure perspective, a lot of times people don't realize the actual calories that, that, you know, resistant training and building muscle can actually yield. And so uh, you know, research has found that engaging in a challenging session of full body resistant training, you know, after doing so, we can see an increase in metabolic rate of up to 150 calories per day for up to three days, which is mostly due to the increase in the protein synthetic response, which is induced by resistant training. Now, the reason I really try to get women I work with to prioritize resistance training as their primary form of exercise is because it's been found to be the most effective form of exercise to improve body composition, especially during deficit. So for example, back in 2015, there was a systematic review and meta-analysis by Clark and colleagues that analyzed 66 studies comparing the effectiveness of diet, exercise, or diet and exercise on fat loss outcomes and found that there is a necessity. Like this was literally, I'll never forget, like the the conclusion of their study was there is a necessity to include exercise in combination with diet to elicit or to effectively elicit improvements in body composition and metabolic health. And what this meta-analysis found was that resistance training was was more effective than endurance training at inducing losses in fat mass and retention of lean mass and improving parameters of metabolic health, such as fasting insulin levels, triglycerides, LDL, and 
and total cholesterol. And then there was also a study that was just done a few years back by Brad Schoenfeld, uh, Alan Aragon, and I believe James Krieger was on it. And they specifically looked at the benefit of adding resistance training plus diet versus diet alone in premenopausal women. So this applies to a vast majority of our audience. And the results found that adding resistance training to a calorie-restricted diet led these women to lose more total fat mass, more body fat, gain a significant amount of lean mass, and increase their metabolic rate as compared to diet alone. So when it comes to what form of training I believe women should be prioritizing during a fat loss phase, I'd undoubtedly recommend resistance training to be the first thing they get dialed in for their goal of maximizing fat loss and muscle retention, rather than taking the traditional approach, which is to just focus on diet or just to go after cardio first and foremost, because cardio is an extremely effective intervention. But if you are not prioritizing resistance training, but your goal is to improve your body composition, you're kind of... um, you know, putting yourself in a disadvantageous position to actually, you know, meet your goal. And really when it comes to setting up a client, we want to set them up for success. So we really have to play like, it's almost like our, our buddy, Brian Borstein would say like you're one A and you're one B. So right now, you know, he just finished an endurance race, you know, congrats to him, but his was one A cardio, one B resistance training, but in any other phase, if he was in a fat loss phase or any clients that we have that we're working with and their goal is not to be an endurance athlete and to complete a three hour race, it's to be able to improve their body composition, get leaner, look toner. Uh, look, uh, feel stronger and feel better in their own skin. That's going to be our 1A is going to be resistance training all day. And then our 1B can be cardio. Absolutely. And I know we're very in alignment with the way we approach that. So as you said, training, resistance training is our 1A. That is going to have the most benefits for body composition, for metabolic rate, um, and in the long term. So talk us through that 1B. Like what role does cardio play in the fat loss process? Because it doesn't sound like it's something where you're just cardio kills your gains. We're not doing any cardio at all. Talk us through like how we apply that. No, not at all. So, you know, it's important to realize like, yes, I did just focus on resistance training. And this really comes down to the fact that that is the area that I find in practice. I need to focus on most with the women that I work with. A, they really haven't had a structured, periodized, progressive resistance training program. Generally, they've never logged their training. They haven't really focused on a lot of the more nuanced aspects of programming from a periodization perspective, from including both, you know, uh, progressive increases in, in intensity, as well as potentially volume or, or just essentially progressing the stimulus over time. But also they haven't utilized fatigue management. So it's just been like, I just go to the gym, you know, endlessly. I, I never take a deload, like, but also they've never necessitated a deload. So now we have to increase the stimulus, get them to a point where they're inducing a progressive training stimulus to increase muscle, accrete muscle essentially. And then they're also accumulating fatigue. And we need to uh, teach them how to mitigate that through fatigue management strategies like deloads, active recovery phases, things of that sort. So although resistance training is going to be the first type of uh, exercise I program for clients, and I have, you know, my female clients prioritized, especially you know, in a fallows phase, I also have to realize, and, and I want to make, or I have to acknowledge that cardio is an extremely and especially effective and useful tool during a fat loss phase. So, however, it's important to realize that we're adding in cardio during a fat loss phase as a method of increasing calorie expenditure so that we can create a greater deficit and to lose more body fat or so that we can burn more calories per day and diet on a higher calorie intake. And I say this because I often have women come to me for coaching. And when I go over their current, you know, I always do a a client consultation. And when I go over their current cardio programs, it kind of looks like they're either trying to be an Olympic, you know, sprinter or a marathon runner, to be honest with you, as the sheer amount of hit training or running that they're doing is that of someone who's trying to compete in endurance sports. So it's always confusing. And and I always try to have a conversation. That's where I try to lead with education to empower them and, and really teach them the differences in, and really, 
really specificity of training, which is, a, you know, one of the primary principles of any type of training, to be honest with you. And it's, we have to specify and, and utilize a, a stimulus that's directed at your goal. So if your 1A is resistant training, we have to make sure that your cardio or the other things you're doing outside of that, whether it be sleep, stress management, all these other things aren't impeding or hindering your ability to make progress within that. And I'll tell you recently, I had a new client come to me. And when I asked her about her current cardio levels and like what she was doing, she was doing three hours of fasted cardio each and every day. And that was based and she worked with a professional. Yeah. So she was, it was based on a previous coach's instructions. Not only is this extremely time consuming, that, so that was one of her biggest things was, it was like, she was getting up at like 3.30 AM to, to do her cardio till 6.30 so she could get ready for work. And you know, it's not only extremely time consuming and excessive, but her biofeedback was bottomed out in all capacities. And she felt like shit. So when we speak about cardio, it's really important to remember we're doing this to burn calories in a low stress manner, not to do so much cardio or at such a high intensity of cardio that it's taking away from our ability to stay active throughout the rest of the day and also to train in a progressive way. So yes, we understand, you know, a meta-analysis last year or the year before by Schumann et al. showed that that when it comes to it came came to concurrent training, there was not a interference effect per se on muscle mm-hmm. hypertrophy. The number one adaptation that's going to be hindered is power output and speed. So those are the number one things. If you're doing a ton of endurance training, you will impede your ability to be fast and explosive. However, you know, we really don't see unless it's in excessive amounts that cardio hinders your gains. However, that doesn't mean that there's other, there's other downstream effects that couldn't be deleterious to your outcomes. And the reason that I look at cardio as a tool to burn more calories and assist in creating a deficit is because comparatively speaking, if we compare Cardio resistance training, head to head, cardio burns more calories per session than resistance training due to the fact that it's a continuous form of training. So our energy expenditure levels are elevated above baseline more than when we resistance train, which is an intermittent form of exercise. So if you really think about like what you do in the gym, and this is how I, I explain it to the clients, it's like, think about your rest to work ratio. It's much greater than it ever would be with cardio because you're continually moving. And that means that you're at a higher baseline. You know, if we look at like what cardio is measured in and much of like the physical activity compendiums, it's in METs, which are metabolic equivalents, which essentially is a, uh, a factor over your resting metabolic rate. So if you're, you know, for instance, like walking is like 2.5 METs. So that means it's your, ba- your baseline metabolic rate. So say that you're, you burn 2000 calories per day, or, you know, say you burn 200 calories every hour, which would be extremely high. So let's go hundred calories per hour rather, uh, would be more accurate. And so say you burn hundred calories an hour, you might burn 250 calories an hour of walking at 2.5 miles per hour. So when it comes to creating the deficit, the best tool, you know, we have to look at these things like what is the right tool for the right job? So when it comes to creating a deficit initially, the best tool to use is your diet. Then when it comes to improving your body composition and your lean mass to fat mass ratio, the best tool to use is resistance training. And then when it comes to the goal of burning more calories in a single session, the best tool to use is cardio. So keep in mind, like all of these play their own role and we never sacrifice one for the other or, or completely dismiss it or overlook the potential benefits that including one of these can have to our ability to maximize our body composition outcomes, as well as to achieve our goals in the most effective and efficient manner possible. Absolutely. And I just want to take it back to kudos to your client doing three hours of cardio, seven days a week. I have been had me at 25 minutes on training days, 35 minutes on rest days. And I'm like, damn it, dude, this is so my guys getting late too. (laughs) Yeah. So kudos to you. That is impressive. Not something that I think we would recommend, but hundred percent. I have titrated down her cardio significantly to say the least. I I mean, I, this woman was doing an immense amount of steps. And even though I am a very big advocate of physical activity, Mm -hmm. it was to an excessive degree that her, all her 
metabolics, her biofeedback, her biomarkers were all tanked. And it was just the point where it wasn't worth it for the, the outcome she was getting. She was extremely fatigued. She was unable to progressive, you know, progressively train. And also just like how she felt on a day-to-day basis, it literally yielded. And here's the thing. So it's really important to realize like the compensatory effect of excessive cardio. So she was doing three hours in the morning, but by the afternoon, all she wanted to do was sit and like lay down and, and relax. And she knew that it, it was like, I'm only keeping up this level of need or this level of energy expenditure because I chunk out a huge portion of my day in the morning to do three hours worth of activity. So yes, she would, by 6.30 AM, she had, you know, 20,000 steps. And so even if she hardly moved throughout the rest of the course of the day, she was still at a high level of energy expenditure, but it was only due to the fact that cardio was programmed so high. It's just really shocking. A lot of times I'll I'll get these um, client interactions or I'll have these consultations and I'll see some of the poor uh, coaching practices. And I know that even you and I, like I've shared some of this stuff with you, like that I've seen personally. And it just, it really, first of all, it frustrates me because I'm someone that I I really do believe in ethical and um, value-oriented and evidence-based principles and, and really coaching in a manner that's individualized and that's also not excessive in any manner. Like I come from the bodybuilding world, like believe me, I, I've been through the ringer in terms of preps and being down-regulated from a metabolic perspective, from a hormonal perspective, all these things. So I've been through it myself and I always try to keep that in mind. And I always say like, I would never ask a client to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself or haven't done, but more times than not, it's something, even when I'm, I'm making these adjustments and I'm asking someone to do something, it's would I do this now with what I know now? And as a coach, I'll tell you from my perspective, oftentimes, uh, nine out of 10 times, 99 out of 100 times, honestly, there is never a time that I ask a client to do something that I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be willing to say if it was an amount of cardio, I wouldn't be willing to just get up out of my my chair, out of my office and go do right then and there because I asked them and I would be more than happy to do so. And a lot of times I think that coaches only, they, they kind of just throw out um, instructions and they expect like, all right, well, this person wants this outcome. They don't think like, if someone told you to do three hours of cardio, my man, would you do that? Would you do that on a daily basis? Would you get up at three o'clock to be on, on the treadmill by 3.30? And believe me, I'm an early riser. So I'm thinking like this woman was not like me in terms of like her morning routine. She had to do that because that was the only way she could be get all her cardio in that was suggested because he wanted to fast it. And it's like, at this point, like you're just hemorrhaging muscle and you're so fatigued that it has absolutely, I don't want to say no benefit. Yeah. You're still burning calories, but you're super downregulated. You're suffering from energy deficiency. So there's so many downstream negative effects. And a lot of times I, I really think from a coaching perspective, I, I don't mean to go on a tangent. So we'll go into the next topic, but we really have to be, I'm very conscious and intentional when making uh, adjustments as well as suggestions with my clients. And I really leave this open. This is something that you know yourself. There are times that I'll just, I'll give you a few options and like, let's discuss them. Like we can go in this direction. We can try this. What is your preference? There's a lot of times that I'll ask a client, we're deep into a fat loss phase. And it's like, listen, you're on pretty low calories right now. And we have one of two options. We can increase activity or we can, you know, decrease calorie intake. What do you feel more comfortable with? Do you want to keep pushing? Let's have a recalibration call. If you feel like you cannot, you know, continue dieting because it's not, you're not able to adhere to it or you feel like shit or like, there's so many things I have these conversations, especially with like fitness models and, and competitors, like, is it worth it? And let's discuss this because realize that yes, I'm invested into your process, but you don't have to diet for me. Like this is always an option. You always have the option to say, listen, I want to pivot our approach. And I will hundred percent be behind you because I'm here to be a guide and to be essentially a GPS to the, de- to the destination that you want to get to. This is not about you getting shredded to appease me. Absolutely. And I think that collaborative element of coaching is so important. So talk us through then what is the best type of cardio for fat loss? We've referenced hit moderate intensity and low intensity. What's the best type of cardio for fat loss? 
Yeah. So this is a question that I often receive from clients and really it centers around, and I get this from audience members as well. They want to know what, you know, they want to know about different forms of cardio and which is the best for fat loss between hit and steady state, which is essentially are the most popular um, forms of cardio that most people are going to do. And I find that many are under the impression that hit cardio must be the superior form of cardio for fat loss as many associate it with being harder. So they automatically assume that it must be better for burning fat due to its greater difficulty. So it's almost like that more is better mentality. We have the same thing with training volume. It's like, listen, if I'm doing 20 plus sets per week, it must be better than 10 or 15. And it's like this excessive mindset. A lot of times we have to realize that better is better, just not more is better. And that even can be the case. And like sometimes going harder is not better than doing things in a more strategic and methodical approach where you titrate your your level of intensity. However, when we actually look into the body literature on the topic of cardio and body fat loss and body composition outcomes, we see that the, the assumption that hit cardio being superior to steady state is not the case. So for instance, in 2021, Steele and colleagues conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis comparing interval training and steady state cardio's effects on body composition outcomes. And they specifically looked at the changes in fat mass and fat-free mass from both high intensity and steady state cardio and found that both led to very similar reductions in fat mass. So despite what many believe, you know, hit training is, is you know, what many believe, hit training is not more effective than steady state or fat loss when both sessions are worked matched. So when it comes to the goal of purely losing body fat, both methods are effective at doing so as they both help to increase the amount of calories we burn per day. Now, many coaches would just stop there and they would tell their clients to do either or, but I really think that it's important to look into other areas of the literature beyond just the body mass loss and the body fat loss, because really when it comes down to it, I, as a coach, I'm not just here to help my clients lose body weight or scale weight or just body fat. I'm also looking to help them maintain or build muscle and also help to manage fatigue during a diet. And that's a really huge aspect that many people overlook. They're only looking at like the stimulus of training, but they're often overlooking the recovery, but they do the same thing with cardio. They do the same thing with dieting approaches. You know, that's why I like to utilize like undulating approaches to things where I use, you know, a dynamic method to dieting where I start out more aggressive. And then I, I actually increase calorie intake throughout the diet, or I, I implement refeeds in, in most cases of a fat loss phase. So this is an intermittent approach. And I really think that we should use a phasic and periodized approach to all aspects. So that includes your training, your nutrition, your cardio, uh, even your supplementation. And so this is where we really get into more nuanced aspects of, you know, all these programming aspects. But if we specifically look just at cardio, we have multiple studies that reinforce the fact that both HIT training and steady state yield similar fat loss outcomes, but they also find that HIT is more fatiguing. If HIT is more likely and has been shown time and time again to increase cortisol levels more due to the intensity that it's performed at and the stress that it puts on our body, and it also incurs a larger recovery debt, which can thus impact our recovery and impact our ability to perform in our resistance training. And then if we think about it, like say long-term that every week, week on and week out, you are doing this HIT training and it's impairing your ability to show up and perform in your sessions, whether that just be your lower body sessions or all your training sessions. Because if you look at the endurance training literature, we actually see much greater amounts of central fatigue induced and accumulated from endurance training than we do from resistance training. So now you have all these, these fatigue mechanisms setting in and they're downregulating. Like if you actually look into the literature on central fatigue, even within resistance training, we say that it lowers motor unit recruitment. It lowers our ability to get those high threshold motor units, which is really what's needed to significantly hypertrophy muscle tissue. And so that's having an effect in and of itself, but that fatigue is inhibiting your ability to perform and maintain that stimulus during a fat loss phase. So now you're having a you having an impaired ability to build or maintain muscle. And also we have to also think about beyond just the physical aspect. If you really think about hit, and I'll tell you, there was a stage in my competitive bodybuilding career where 
hit was the rage and I was doing it excessively. It was every cardio session was hit. This was four to five sessions a week. And I'll tell you just personally, and also the feedback that I've received from many clients during that time, as well as later on where now I'm the person that's convincing clients, like let's back off the hit a little bit and let's utilize a little bit more steady state. It can be extremely mentally taxing and fatiguing due to the fact that for each and every session that you do hit, there is no like um, lackadaisical hit like you could with low intensity steady state where you just zone out, you watch some YouTube, whatever it may be. You have to get amped up and mentally ready and, and, you know, engaged for the session because of the high intensity that it's done at. So this is a component that a lot of people overlook is that there is both, you know, central fatigue that's being, you know, accumulated. There's physical fatigue that's being accumulated, but also there's a mental taxation that takes place and that could have downstream effects, not only to your desire to do something, your motivation, you know, um, your perception of effort, but also it can have downstream effects where you're just suffering from essentially like willpower, uh, willpower depletion, or you're suffering from decision fatigue essentially. And so you have all this mental fatigue and now it's rubbing off on your ability to stay adherent to your diet or to show up at work and to be cognitively you know, in the, in the zone or to even show up for your family. So there's all these interacting variables that take place during a fat loss phase. And I think that we have to be a little bit more considerate and, and really analyze these different variables and the pros and cons of each approach, and then decide whether they're advantageous or deleterious to add to a client's program. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That just sucks. Um, when it comes to hit, I am so glad that I sold my air bike from my garage because we are just doing low intensity, steady state. Um, but I also think again, the, your recovery capacity and that being even more limited when we are in a deficit and balancing that with your ability to train hard, your ability to recover, your ability to build, or at least maintain muscle tissue and understanding that again, adding in more hit, if we're not careful, that could eat into that and potentially hurt our overall body composition there. It's something that not a lot of people consider. So Anything else you want to add as far as why women should probably bias more steady state cardio versus high intensity cardio during a fat loss phase? Absolutely. So based on both my experience working with hundreds of women at this point, but also based on the literature and the research that I've done, I would suggest women essentially bias a larger percentage of their weekly cardio in the form of steady state cardio rather than hit cardio. And this isn't to say that you women out there or anyone out there, honestly, that you can't do a session or two of hit per week, but I'd recommend not doing the majority of your cardio in a high intensity form, especially if your goal is to improve uh, your body composition. And also if you're in an energy deficit and in my own coaching practice, I have the women I work with air towards more steady state cardio and steps rather than high intensity interval training and high intensity boot clamp classes. And this is because many of the women that I work with are already like highly stressed individuals and they've been doing high intensity forms of cardio for years, but they still don't have the body composition that they want. And that's due to using a tool like cardio, which can be effective for fat loss and improving body composition and essentially overdoing it. So anything, anything good can be overused and in excess, it could be a bad thing. So anything that's good can become a bad thing due to a lack of moderation or lack of uh, utilizing it properly. And essentially what I, I generally see is a lot of women come to me and they've gotten to the point that they're doing so much hit that it's essentially like they're abusing it where they've gotten to a, a point in their programming where they're utilizing so many hit classes or boot camp classes, they're doing hit training intervals. And it's gotten to the extent where it's now hindering their progress more than it actually helps their body composition. And I find that many of the women that you know come to me have been doing a ton of cardio in the form of hit intervals or high intensity spin classes or boot camp classes, and they don't realize the true effect it's had on other areas of their life. But it's evident as most of them complain about having low energy uh, uh, symptoms. They have fatigue. 
and they feel like they haven't been progressing in their resistance training. And that may be partially due to the fatigue they've accumulated from doing so much high-intensity cardio. And I also find that many of these women have relatively low neat levels, and that's a sign that they've developed compensatory habits due to feeling so tired from how much high-intensity exercise they're doing on the regular. So essentially, that is the person that has so much high output during their, their actual formal exercise session that then they're sitting more, they're slouching more, you know, even their posture is impaired. Like there's little things that they're no longer doing and they don't even pick up on this. These could be subconscious reductions in need, which already happened during a fat loss phase, but especially when you're super fatigued, both from a physical and a mental and a dietary perspective. And also when we actually look at HIIT training research and compare the effects of what it does on males and females. We see that females have a more impaired recovery capacity and they actually take, they have a, what's called a longer time course of recovery when doing HIT as compared to males. So it takes them a longer interval between uh, high intensity interval sessions to be able to adequately recover. And we also see that women don't get the same protein synthetic response to HIT cardio as men do, whereas they tend to respond a lot better and, and really well to lower intensity cardio due to the fact that when we actually look at female physiology, it's set up in a manner where they rely more on aerobic metabolism and they burn fat more effectively for fuel. So this is where we can leverage aerobic training done at lower intensities that relies off oxidative metabolism, essentially aerobic metabolism, um, like steady state to really put them in an advantageous position to do what their body's more meant to do. Like women are very endurant. They have great, um, you know, um, fatigue or very low fatigability, meaning they're able to go long distances, do things, you know, for long durations of time. They're great with high reps. Like their, their fatigue index is much lower than ours is, but also they're going to be more susceptible to the deleterious effects of doing higher intensity forms of cardio because that's just not what their their physiology is really set up in an advantageous position to do so. And I've also found a benefit from shifting many of my female clients from what they've been doing previously. So that could be hit classes, that could be uh, boot camps. And really what I've done is I've transitioned them where they're doing, they're replacing some of those sessions. It doesn't mean every session. So if I have a woman that's going seven days a week, that's not only a physical uh, dependence that she has on it, but also a mental dependence. So it's like, listen, if you're doing this seven days a week, let's back that down to two to three when we first start working together and let's switch those high intensity cardio sessions to low intensity cardio sessions. So you still get your cardio fix in and we're still increasing your energy expenditure, but you're not going to feel trashed and really you know, feel down-regulated after doing that type of hit training. And this allows me, like this approach where I have them bias more low intensity steady state over hit cardio allows me to keep up their energy expenditure while also reducing the stress in their bodies. Because a lot of times, whether I just look at a biofeedback perspective or I actually look, you know, so I can look subjectively at how they feel. And a lot of times they have indices and they have, um, you know, there's, there's, um, evidence that they are dealing with excessive fatigue and high stress, whether it be from a mental component or it even be from a, a physical feedback component. But then also when I get their lab work and I see sky high reverse T3 and really high cortisol, it's like, listen, you're putting excessive stress on your body. And this is where we as a coach have to modify the areas within our control. I can't have, you know, one of my female clients quit her job because it's a high stress job, or I can't have her get rid of her kids because they're, you know, they're driving her up the wall, but I can change the programming and shift things in a method that's more advantageous and that sets her up in a better position to succeed. And so within that, when I go to this lower intensity forms of cardio, what I'm able to do is avoid chronic elevations in cortisol, which helps keep both their sex hormones and their metabolic hormones in a better spot. And generally what I'll see is that a lot of times, the number one thing that I see from a hormonal perspective with women with a chronic history of dieting, as well as someone that's done excessive cardio, is that due to the elevations in cortisol, 
also the low energy availability and just being chronically stressed, they have low thyroid hormones. So we'll see these things get upregulated. Once we take some of the stress off the body, we get cortisol levels down, we get reverse T3 levels down, and then we're able to get more, you know, metabolically, first of all, we're able to get more thyroid conversion from T4, which is inactive to metabolically active T3, but then we're also able to get a, a better increase or a better production of thyroid hormones as a whole. Um, also, we have to look at it from a mental perspective as well. We're also able to keep them in a more parasympathetic state because now when they're not doing cardio in a manner which they have to get amped up for, we're also not putting them into a sympathetic state. So with lower intensity cardio, we're not going to see the drastic increases in, sympath or in sympathetic tone nor in cortisol. And so you're not going to get the same catecholamine release. You're not going to have that same stress hormone response, that fight or flight response. And also it's going to keep them calmer and a, a less stress state essentially, which is going to allow us to use cardio for its intended tool or its intended goal, which is to facilitate greater calorie burn and also to act as a form of active recovery because that's something LIS can do from its improvement in nutrient partitioning, its increasing uh, blood flow and nutrient delivery. Like these are all benefits that we get with LIS cardio, but we generally don't get with HIIT cardio because of the excessive recovery demand that it puts on our body. And so now we can utilize list cardio. We can get that calorie burn, but they still have the energy. They still have the mental, physical capacity to go into resistance training and progressively train in a manner that's going to get them better body composition outcomes and better muscle gain. And so really when it comes down to it, you know, I'd recommend women look to do more of their cardio in a steady state form as even the best aerobic athletes in the world follow an 80-20 approach. So if you actually look at endurance athletes, even those that compete, they utilize this 80-20 principle essentially. And what that refers to is that 80% of their time you know, spent training is in zone two. So low intensity work. And then only 20% of their cardio is done at a high intensity. And these are for individuals whom cardio is their main form of exercise. So it's that 1A for them. So if you're looking to improve your physique, uh, your focus should be mostly on high intensity effort in resistance training, not in cardio. And that's where we can utilize this undulating approach where we bias more of that energy that you were investing into high intensity interval training. And we put it back into resistance training and really leverage that to maximize muscle gain, as well as all the other downstream benefits to your body composition that resistance training has. And we take your foot off the gas for cardio and we utilize that more as a calorie burning tool. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more with all that. And I think this was an incredible kind of bow on top of the female fat loss series, really digging into from our training, from a cardio perspective, what do we need to do to maximize fat loss and achieve the, the best body composition possible, not just as much weight loss as possible with the best body composition possible at the end of that fat loss phase. So as we kind of wrap this series up, again, this has been an incredible series. I'm really stoked on the amount of value we put into this. Um, and I know it'll be super helpful for the listener. Any final thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with as we wrap up this series? Kind of feels like we're at the end of a long journey here. <laughs> 100%, my man. This has been uh, four months of a solid podcast. So first and foremost, I want to thank you for providing me a platform to share with, you know, we were able to collaborate on this. This was something that was a goal of yours to do a relief. If, if So all the kudos go to you because this was your idea first and foremost. I just came, I, I delivered the information that I, I think have. you deserve most of the kudos there, but I appreciate that. But, but you put the the idea in my mind. So I, I thank you for that because it really put me in a focus. You know, it gave us a really good focus for the, these last four months that we've been doing this. But I also just want to thank every single listener out there who has reached out over the last few months and that we've been doing this series. And they provided feedback. They've given us appreciation for this series. And then they've also given me other, you know, insightful questions and different topics to go over. And it's really allowed us to really be expansive because initially when we started this, we thought it'd be like two or three episodes. And right. it's, it's, we really expanded to the seven episodes episodes, uh, you know, series essentially. And it's given um, us an ability to really reach a lot of women out there. And even I've gotten male coaches that have reached out to me that have thanked me for the information that I put out in terms of my approach to 
coaching females because it's helped them look at things from a different perspective and maybe through a, a different window or a, essentially a different set of glasses. And so first and foremost, you know, everyone out there, I appreciate you guys listening to this. And really when it comes down to it, my intention behind everything I do within coaching and from a, an education perspective is to bridge the gap between research and information and application. So I really do hope that this series has helped everyone who's listened to it. And we will be back again with, I'm sure, another series shortly um, after this one. But we really do appreciate your guys' time for sharing the show, all the feedback that you've gotten in, and all the times that we've shared the show personally. I've done reels on this show um, or in regards to this show. And it's really been great to receive the support and know that we're helping people because that's really, Jeremiah, you and I have like come together on like a really like-minded focus uh, vision to really help people Absolutely. with the content that we put out. And really, I think we the reason we get along so well besides our own personal friendship is because we're very aligned in our vision in helping others and empowering them with education. And we've been able to leverage this platform to do so. So, you know, overall, this has been a great series and I, I hope you guys enjoy it. Absolutely. I'm excited to create more. And as always, any questions, topics, Whatever you have that y'all want us to dig into further, feel free to message either Brandon or myself. Now, Brandon, as always, I will link up in the show notes where to find you as far as your Instagram, email, podcast, anything else you want to plug outside of the norm. Perfect. You covered it, my man. Always a pleasure. Well, as always, dude, thank you for being here and we will catch you guys next time.